are with part two of our walk down memory lane. And of course, you remember that we were doing television of the 50s and we left off and I promised we would come back with the biggest of the biggies in the area of cartoons. And of course, that's not Disney. That's Warner Brothers, who cooked up the Looney Tunes, which were black and white, and the Merry Melodies, which were color. And that's the primary difference between the two. Uh, Of course, they would never have been anything without a certain person that was necessary to round out their stable of talent. And that would be Mel Blanc. He did 95% of the voices in the cartoons. And I know some of you out there will say, well, what about B. Bernadette? You know her as uh, Cousin Pearl in the Beverly Hillbillies. But yes, she had limited uh, roles in those cartoons, but it was mostly Mel Blanc. And both Mel Blanc and B. Bernadette were radio stars already before television came along. We'll talk about that later. But Mel Blanc was a genius in doing voices and characterizations that really matched the cartoon characters. And without that, they never would have been as successful. Now, Warner Brothers took aim, and it was mostly Tex Avery at first, at Disney and decided they did not want to have those cutesy-wootsy little cartoon characters Matter of fact, they were going to be kind of smart aleck and a little bit adult-oriented, not just for kiddos. And along with Tex Avery, you had Chuck Jones, Bob Clampett, Frizz Freeling, Robert McKimson, and others uh, to a lesser extent that produced and directed these cartoons. So it was not the baby of just one person, but a bunch of geniuses who all went on to achieve other successes in animation later on. And let's just run down some of the characters, which it's a huge list that Warner Brothers has uh, created and are beloved by all, especially we boomers. There was Bugs Bunny, Egghead, Elmer Fudd, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Sylvester, and Tweety Bird. And of course, along with Sylvester, who could ever forget Sylvester Jr., who was mortified when his father couldn't catch a mouse, which turned out to be a baby kangaroo. No, Father. How can I show my face around the other kittens? There was Beaky Buzzard. I'm gonna catch a baby, a bumblebee. Then there was Foghorn Leghorn, who was based on a character on the Fred Allen radio and then later TV show. I say, I say, uh, that boy's about as sharp as a pound of wet leather. And of course, my personal favorite quote of his, Fortunately, I have my feathers numbered for just such an occasion. And then there was Yosemite Sam, 
Say your prayers, rabbit. Then there was the Tasmanian devil, which was very rare to get dialogue out of him. Mostly what you ever got from him was... (laughs) There was the road runner. Beep, beep. And he was the nemesis of Wile Coyote. Super genius who must have spent a fortune ordering all of those gadgets trying to catch the Roadrunner from the Acme Corporation. There was Cecil Turtle, who would race against Bugs Bunny, and of course, the tortoise would always beat the hare. And I've got to say that Mitch McConnell is a dead ringer for old Cecil Turtle. There was Pepe Le Pew, who was a skunk, that was always falling in love with a cat who somehow got a white stripe down its back, and he thought it was a female skunk. And of course, he would not take no for an answer. He was just too much in love. There was Henry Hawk. He was a little chicken hawk that was sick of eating pablum and wanted to taste chicken, and he was always after foghorn leghorn. Then there were the Goofy Gophers. They both had a British accent, and they were extremely polite. No, sir, you go first. Oh, no, 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 no. Indubitably, it is your turn to go first. No, 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 I must protest. And a lot of people get them confused with Chip and Dale, who are chipmunks. But the similarity that they're rodents uh, ends there, and some say that they were the created as a slap at Chippendale, but uh, pretty doubtful. Their names, we probably didn't realize this, are Macintosh. Get it? Macintosh? Then there's Speedy Gonzalez, the fastest mouse in all Mexico. Ipa, ipa, andale, arriba! And his cousin, Slowpoke Rodriguez, who couldn't get away from the cats, But as one of the mangy cats that were after them one time said, Jose, I forgot to tell you. Flopoke Rodriguez, he pocket gone. There were many more secondary and tertiary characters in the Warner Brothers character stable, but we don't have time to go into all of them right here, right now. I know you have your favorites, and put in the comments who your favorite is, especially if you'd like to hear me imitate them. I can't do them all, but I can do a lot of them, and I have been doing them since I was a little boomer shaver. Now we come to the next category, which is kids' shows, and we break them up into several areas, too. The first one is daytime shows. Of course... The biggest of the big has got to be, still, Captain Kangaroo. It had a run that was incredible. Every weekday morning on CBS from 1955 to 1984. Just think of that, folks. 30 years. And uh, Bob Keeshan, who played uh, Captain Kangaroo appeared in the show 9,000 times. So 
quite amazing. I'm sure many of you have heard the urban legend that Lee Marvin on The Tonight Show commented that Bob Keeshan saved his life on Iwo Jima. Well, Lee Marvin never served on Iwo Jima. He was injured in the uh, Battle of Saipan, and Bob Keeshan never saw action after he enlisted in the Marine Corps. He was just a little too late for that. Then we had Romper Room, the Mickey Mouse Club, which, of course, had a lot of stars in the tradition of the later Mickey Mouse Club that went on to be uh, stars in their own right. Dean Jones was one. Annette Funicello was another. Who can forget Frankie and Annette back in the 60s? But we're not doing the 60s right now. And what boomer who was a kid during the 1950s will ever forget the phrase, Hey, kids, what time is it? And then answering back to the television as if he could actually hear us, It's howdy-doody time! Along with Clarabelle the Clown and Buffalo Bob, we watch Howdy Doody every day, dutifully. Howdy Doody had a great run, too, from 1947 to 1960. Nothing like Captain Kangaroo, but still, pretty long time. Now we move into primetime shows, and they were unique because the programming was aimed at kids themselves in primetime. Although the programming did have to appeal to adults as well. One prototypical show of this type was Leave It to Beaver. It was aimed at adults and kids both, but mostly at kids. Then there was Dennis the Menace, Mr. Wizard's World, and Disney's Wonderful World, which after color TV came in later, was changed to Disney's wonderful world of color. Of course, there was Lassie, who didn't grow up wanting to have a dog just like Lassie. (laughs) Girl, what was it? Mr. Johnson has fallen down the well? There was the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, which featured the real-life family of Ozzy and Harriet Nelson, and their sons, David and Ricky. Ricky was a music star in his own right, a budding young rock star, rockabilly, whatever you want to call it. So uh, there was a lot of appeal just uh, to the teen audiences, too. There was Make Room for Daddy, which starred Danny Thomas as an entertainer And we got to peek behind the entertainer at his home life. And uh, that was a great show. It spun off later, Andy Griffith. And it also had two really great stars that went on to be in other things. One of those was Angela Cartwright, who later starred in Lost in Space. And the other was Sherry Jackson, who had... Many, many TV roles and different shows, mostly as a guest star. Then there was the Donna Reed Show, very popular family type situation also. And then as Boomers got a little bit older in the late 50s, it came up with Dobie Gillis, 
which pondered some of the questions of older boomers, uh, preteens, and teens. Then in our next category, we talk about primetime television. That was family entertainment. Now, there was always plenty of family around, and usually in the 50s, you only had one television set. So they had to program for families, and they were also following a kind of a pattern or formula that had been very successful during the days of radio. One of the big ones on my list is the Jack Benny Show. I love that show. It had great characters that uh, ran along with it, such as Don Wilson, the announcer, and his real-life wife, Mary Livingston, and, of course, Raw Jester, the uh, black butler, whose scenes have so far survived the woke movement. Who knows how long that may last? Watch them while you can, folks. And it was a continuation of a radio program that was popular for almost 15 years before television came along. And they just uh, they took the whole cast and moved it to television, and it worked wonderfully. Uh, it had Sheldon Leonard. Uh, later on, he was the producer of Make Room for Daddy and also uh, was on that show and was the producer for the Andy Griffith Show. We'll get into that in the 60s. He played the racetrack tout. Hey, bud, come over here. Who, me? Yeah, you. Which train are you taking to New York? Why, the super chief. Uh-uh. Uh-uh? Uh-uh. And it was a running gag. He would appear in shows from here to there. It also had Mel Blanc the, that we talked about on the Warner Brothers cartoons. Well, he was the sound man during the radio days. He made the sound effects for the Maxwell all of the other sound effects that went on in the show, because they had one guy to do it. It was a radio show. They didn't have to actually do any uh, actual effects. But he would reappear and guest shots in the show and play different characters in the show. And he also still did the sound of the Maxwell, which was Jack Benny's old, old car starting up. And the running gag of the whole show was what a tightwad Jack Benny was. And also that he was perpetually 39 years old and never got any older. Another old-time radio show that ported well to television and went straight on to it was the George Burns and Gracie Allen show. Of course, Burns and Allen had been a comedy team and also married for quite some time, even from the old vaudeville days. Then you had The Honeymooners, starring Jackie Gleason and Art Carney. What a great pair. Of course, we all know The Flintstones was based on The Honeymooners, including Jackie Gleason. He knew it, and he said, gosh, I figured it was a tribute. I never thought about suing them. But The Honeymooners, the famous line was, Bing! Zoom! Trip to the moon! But my favorite uh, quote is when Ralph talks about Alice's mother as a blabbermouth. She's nothing but a blabbermouth. And of course, at the end of every show, 
Alice, baby, you're the greatest. And Alice and Ralph would make up. More shows were My Little Margie and The Bob Cummings Show, a.k.a. Love That Bob. And B. Davis, who would later surface in the uh, Brady Bunch, was in that show. As was Dwayne Hickman, the younger brother of Daryl Hickman, who was the star of Dobie Gillis. It was about a bachelor photographer that was quite the womanizer and all of the uh, little hijinks that he would get into dating the different girls. And of course, the blockbuster of them all, I Love Lucy, starring Lucille Ball, her crazy Cuban uh, nightclub entertainer husband, Desi Arnaz, as Ricky Ricardo, and the neighbors downstairs, Fred and Ethel, played by Vivian Vance and William Frawley. One of the running gags of the show was that Lucy did not want to just stay at home and be the dutiful housewife, which was pretty common during the 1950s. She wanted to be part of show business and was constantly trying to get into Ricky's act. And, of course, Fred and Ethel would go along with crazy schemes that she would come up with. But, of course, one of the best things was always when Lucy would get into trouble and start her crying routine. And all would be resolved at the end, and everybody would uh, calm down. So it was a great show. Everybody loved it. I still like to see reruns of it, uh, although I've seen them hundreds and hundreds of times. And the one imitation that I can do from that show is Ricky Ricardo's laugh. Let me give it a shot here. Please don't throw any rotten tomatoes. And we have uh, Father Knows Best, and that was a family comedy, just family situations, a very innocuous, very bland kind of comedy, but it was popular. And then you have Abbott and Costello. Of course, they were well-established from the movies already and a radio show. So they just carried on with their radio show and did scenes around the neighborhood. Seinfeld says that they kind of used uh, Abbott and Costello as a model. Although I do not recall Bud and Lou getting into a contest to see who could be the master of their domain anytime. And at least a couple of times, if not more, they reprised their famous Who's On First routine. And everybody's heard that. If you haven't, look it up on Google and check out Who's On First with Abbott and Costello. Hilarious. And I want to uh, just say that people at that time used to call television a vast wasteland. Now, those were effete critics from New York and perhaps Los Angeles who were aghast that people would laugh at such inane jokes and actually enjoy them. Well, 
those are the same idiots that we have programming television today that's meaningful and has a message and will bore you out of your mind. Nobody wants to watch that crap. And I guess you could say that definitely is a boomer opinion because I wish they were more original type comedies like there were back in the 50s. I guarantee you that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia can't hold a candle to the honeymooners. But then again, that's just my opinion. And I'm a boomer. So there you have it. And I see by the proverbial clock on the wall that our time for this week is up. Thanks again for joining me, and we'll have another episode next week. I'm not sure what the subject is going to be, but it's not going to be a walk down memory lane, I can tell you that. So until next week, adios, and we'll see you then.